Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, where three brothers from three different generations talk about their one shared passion, music. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my two brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. Today, we're talking about the best debut album, side one, track one of all time. You can now listen to episodes on our brand new Brother Pod app, which also gives you access to additional new music, music news, clips, and content that we curate for each episode. It's also a place where you can interact with us directly through the talkback feature. Ask us questions, make suggestions, and voice your own opinions. Just search Brother Pod in your app store to download on your mobile device. It's awesome because we had everything to do with the content and nothing to do with the extremely cool and professional design. As always, you can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now, let's talk the best debut, side one, track ones of all time. Brother, brother, brother. It's great to be back with you guys after uh, a month off uh, traveling the world. Uh, we've been watching the World Cup very closely. We've been leading uh, uh, Thai soccer teams into the backs of caves. Um, and, and out uh, again. Yes, and out again, just to be clear. Um, and, you know, we are feeling very well rested and uh, back for the best track one side A um, of a debut album. So, so the idea, I think, for this episode is that we're going to talk about some of our favorite um, you know, sort of first salvos to the world, right? The the very first song that a band produced and released and that kind of thing. First thing you could possibly have ever heard them do, essentially, which is pretty awesome. I'm, I'm actually going to break that rule with, with one of the ones that I put on here, but that's fine. Um, uh, well, math was made to be broken. Rules were made to be broken. Exactly. I feel like I should give like a uh, what I did on my summer vacation I, talk I right now. It's been so awesome long report. since we spoke. Uh, I traveled to Los Angeles, and I sat down with Peter Jesperson and Michael Hill and Bob Mayer and had an awesome conversation about the replacements, um, and then I went to Greece. Wow. That sounds great. I went to Delaware briefly, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, and uh, I, uh, I worked and <laughs> while you guys played. Yeah, the Greece of the Mid-Atlantic. <laughs> yes, um, the Greece of Mid-Delaware, actually. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, that was, uh, that was a fantastic couple of episodes that, that, um, that just came out. I mean, your conversation about the mats was like, honestly, one of the coolest things I think we've done. Um, and you know, really kind of illuminating on, on a lot of different levels. I mean, we got stories out of them that frankly, I just, I don't think I've ever been told before. Yeah. Um, that was a cool was, part. Well, also the first time those three had ever been interviewed together. So if you're a replacements fan or just a music fan in general, and you haven't listened to our 100th episode in 100.5, please do. It's a, it's a really, all three gentlemen were a pleasure, and uh, it was just a, an amazing music conversation in general. I think our next uh, next guest to discuss the replacements, replacements has to be uh, Tim Kaine, by the way, because I did just see yesterday that he um, Bob was... Bob Muir he was actually, something. Yeah, yeah, he was actually, he was being interviewed about the replacements, and he was reciting lyrics off the top of his head um, and analyzing them, and well, I was like... <laughs> Tim Kaine for president and Tim Kaine for brother 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 
I have to say, I when I was when I heard for the first time that he was a huge replacements fan, and I knew that he was added to the ticket as the vice presidential candidate um, in 2016. I, my first reaction was obviously Gary's got a boner is going to be there. Uh, Walk on <laughs> music for all um, speeches and rallies, but. Unsatisfied ended up being the uh, (laughs) (laughs) The the statement. Uh, Well, anyway, um, so you know, I think another cool uh, another cool feature of our uh, extended summer vacation um, was that we rolled out our new app, um, which is really fantastic. I mean, I got to say that you know, big thanks to the the team that that put it together um, over at Clip Interactive, but uh, but it really is. I mean, it's it's working smoothly and we, we recommend that you all check it out um, largely because it has a pretty incredible feature of being able to talk shit to us record it and then send it directly to us um, and if it's funny uh, we will just play it on the air um, in fact we have to so yeah it's a, I was uh, I was introducing it in the uh, in the uh, actual intro and um, I said that this this is uh, worth absolutely worth downloading because we have everything to do with the the uh, content and curation, and had absolutely nothing to do with design and, and execution. So, <laughs> Which, thankfully for awesome. all of you, means it will work. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, um, you guys want to dive into? Uh, let's do it. Let's get started. So this is firing out of the box, best debut album, side one, track one. And I think what we're going to do here is each pick three um, and, and sort of go through. And, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about a bunch more. But uh, um, go ahead, Christian. I Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, I was just going to say that this is uh, – I think this was originally put to um, – this was sort of put to an office pool back at Grantland a couple of years ago. Um, at least that's where I remember first hearing about it. You know, what was the, what was the first opening shot um, by, by any given band? Uh, and that actually led us, you know, interestingly, before we even had the podcast, that led us to putting together um, one of the best playlists, I think, that we'd made as a group. Um, and it was just, I mean, it really was sort of off the cuff, um, back and forth. But so we've, we've since, you know, we dug that playlist up. Actually, I didn't have to dig it up because I still listen to it pretty regularly. Um, and, you know, sort of went through it, picked, uh, picked out a few of our favorites there. Um, and sort of want to use that as a pretense to talk about, you know, how important um, uh, first impressions are. You never get to make a first impression twice, right? <laughs> so, uh, Jared, do you want to do you want to um, volunteer to, to to lead the class? Uh, by the way, um, to, uh, to rock deeply, the class. Yeah, deeply, uh, um, uh, dearly departed Grantland. Um, we we're all big fans of that. So, anyway, you want to uh, you want to lead off the charge because I think uh, you're you're just you're blasting out of the box. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna like I think I I was two years old when this album came out, so 1978, and it's uh, Van Halen's debut album and their first song, track one off uh, the debut album, "Running with the Devil," which uh, you know is <clears throat> quite possibly. A, one of the best hard rock albums ever made, but one of the best hard rock songs ever uh, ever recorded. And the monster riff that Eddie Van Halen just kicks that song off with, and then, you know, David Lee Roth slinking in, slinking in is just, you know, undeniably just kind of like puts uh, the hair on your back, back well, of your I, neck up. I, I mean... 
I believe the, it's the hair on your chest. The chest salad gets curled. DLR's chest salad. But like, you know, I mean, and just kind of thinking about this album and this band, like, it, I mean, 1978, you had stuff around there. Like, you know, obviously we'll probably talk about some of these bands, but Sex Pistols debut was around that time. Um, Ramones, things like that. And I think this album sorely gets overlooked in this, you know, in general, just for being like, it's confident, it's unpretentious, just straight up rock and roll. And, uh, you know, I think the band kind of fully found, I mean, they always had swagger and confidence, but it was, um, it still comes across as kind of like a more, I think like simple, just straight ahead rock. And also nothing sounds like that at that time. And when you were probably much more aware being a child of the seventies, um, but, you know, I can't really think of, like, hard rock or, or music that sounded like that at the time. Most of it was really based in kind of blues riffs and things like that. I sort of see – but even so, the, the, I mean, I, I think that it, it's a continue. I mean, it, it definitely is uh, – it's sort of inheriting, like, the Led Zeppelin mantle more than the punk mantle. Oh, definitely, yeah. Oh, I'm just absolutely. saying – I'm saying more critic-wise, it was kind of overlooked and, and kind of shunned oh, for, you know. And was that, was that because at the time – Because it was were, party rock. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was, it was good time. You were running with the devil. You were, <laughs> you know, it wasn't attempting to be serious. It wasn't, yeah. bl- and it wasn't blues based. It was, you know, oh, it was you like, had to you had to write lyrics about fairies and shit in order yeah, to do that. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you had actually, to actually. Led Zeppelin was dismissed by critics too. Yeah. You know, it was like you had to talk about revolution or something. Yeah, it was the only thing that you know. The only band that mattered was the Clash, and and the fact is, when you go back, um, you know, this like, first of all. Just because I went back today and, and listened to the album because I completely re-remembered Eruption being before. I the actually, Devil. when you said that, I thought the same thing, and then I, I went back and I was pleasantly surprised. And the fact is that, like, Running with the Devil, just like um, you know, booked the arena. It was like, how could you ever hear that song and be like, these guys should play in a club? You know? <laughs> um, but second of all, I mean, and, and we're getting ahead of, on, of ourselves on the track list, but to a person. Um, I think every guitar player, you know, um, and I've heard a lot of them say this, that the second they heard Eruption, they were like, shit, I better learn how to play guitar. Um, you know, no, that's really, right. And I mean, Eddie Van Allen, there's no question, was like, he, he was just, he was so technically proficient. I mean, he was such a virtuoso that it, like, you, I'd like to think that that actually helped sort of level up the game a little bit for the next decade or so. Um, which, you know, in a lot of respects, like technique-wise at least, it probably did. It was revolutionary, um, but it was revolutionary and it was packaged in such like, you know, like we said, like we joked before, chess salad, Southern Cal, like cock rock swagger. tight spandex. Super tight, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that it wasn't, you know, I mean, it, but you, it was undeniable. It really was undeniable. And, and you know, it really is. I mean, you talk about, you know, these sort of, you know, great blues-based, you know, the, the gods of the time, Page and Clapton and all these guys. I mean, they all had their heads blown off by this. And, and it really is kind of classically based. It's It doesn't sound like it immediately but it kind of you know it's got more in common with you know Rachmaninoff than it does Muddy Waters I would yeah no I would agree with that I mean I think it is it's a it's a different um a different sort of brand and less less uh attached to sort of southern American roots music for sure oh, I um 
Southern California roots music, dude. And probably uh, spawned a million shitty imitators as well. But, uh, you know, it's a universal universal song and universal album. Actually, sure. they, 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 they even spawned their own shitty imitator. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, Twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, Hagar. self-titled album and I think I mean this this thing like it okay so it's it's a sort of torqued up like uh, acoustic surf punk sound right like I, it's hard to even I mean to, to truly capture like how novel um, uh, aesthetically I think like the, the violent femmes are um, but Gordon Gano just get, I mean really gives us one of the uh, greatest um, tributes or odes to uh, like pencil-necked, nervous teenagerdom. Um, and, you know, it, it, I think it was a pretty unlikely hit when it broke. Um, and, uh, and it was just sort of teeming with, um, you know, with, with all sorts of uh, teenage sexual tension and nerdiness. I mean, it literally, it couldn't be l- more the opposite end of the cool spectrum from David Lee Roth and Ben Halen. Um, you know, it, it, was, uh, it, it was such a, a like sort of Revenge of the Nerds quality, I think, um, to it. And I, I, I just, you know, I think that, that um, it had a, a perfect time and a place. And, I, you know, Violent Femmes are still a sort of a band out of time, I think. Um, and they're, oh, they, not, they're not really mentioned, with, like, in the, you know, in the canon of, of replacements like we were discussing earlier or the R.E.M.s or the Pixies. Um, and I think that part of that is, like, they don't so much attach themselves to an era of time in American history or music history so much as they attach themselves to the exact same era of time in every single adolescent boy's boy's life. life. Exactly. Yes. Um, they're exactly. fixed in that like 15 to 16 and a half window. And like you hear it for the first time and you're just like, fuck, yes, this yeah. is awesome. This and is I think exa- that's exactly when you hear it. Yeah. You know, no, it's like, all, this is, this is my well, internal monologue. Like, this, came, this came out when I was 14 and it was the ultimate, and I'm, I'm sorry that, uh, you know, I, I was bereft of, of the gift that you people have, but, um, you know, it was the ultimate older brother gives a younger brother an album kind of album. And it, um, you know, it was, but basically it was handed down by my friend's college brothers. And like, then I got it and it was like contraband. It was, uh, it was more porno than porno. And even like, well, and it has that same, like, uh, sort of 
built-in rebelliousness, like, you know, really kind of juvenile attitude that, like, I think the Beastie Boys appealed in a lot of respects for, for similar reasons. They might have been a little bit too... They were, uh, they were too were, jokey. Yeah. But they also had more swagger. These guys yeah. were like, woe is me. But also um, the music kind of pumped. So it was like, yeah. it wasn't, it was like stuff that everybody could dance to. It wasn't, it didn't have that same edge as like, you know, I'm going to go listen to Damaged by Black Flag or, or right. you know. Yeah, I was going to say, it's really accessible too. You no, know, it was girls love this with, album. Yeah, It's exactly. way more in line with like the Gun Club and. Um, B-52s. I mean, it was yeah, the same it, it's era. There's almost like a rockability it's, Billy it's Ball party rock. Yes. It, I mean, and, in the same way well, that Van, Van Halen is a very different party. Yeah, but exactly. it's all, I mean, but especially. When those parties like, get together, whoa, watch like, out. Dude, it's AV club. <laughs> but growing up in like the Southeast, um, you know, this album f- had the feeling of being a very regional album. And those guys were from Milwaukee. And yeah. Yeah. they were originally discovered by Chrissy Hind, who happened to be playing in Milwaukee and saw them playing on a street. So it was, um, you know, I mean, and they were on Slash, which was an L.A. label. It was a very, very weird label, set of circumstances, yeah. you know. Well, Los Lobos was on Slash as well, which is weird. But, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, the Violent Femmes, you're, you're absolutely I, right. It's, a, it's not a band that from a region. It's not a band from a time period. It's a band from a certain age of your life. <laughs> well, I also feel like it's an album that, you look at the album cover or, you know, and just kind of back then, especially. It's like a to, Wyeth painting. Yeah. You just, but you also <laughs> use a group, you know, you, you, you kind of search out bands and they were always grouped in this lump. But it was such a surprising, you know, pleasantly surprising sound when you heard it, too. Because I, I remember the name and the album cover and actually uh, your cousin, uh, my faux cousin, Jonathan Lewis, is actually the first person who ever played it for me. And. I absolutely remember, like, just being like, whoa, whoa this is not yeah. anything like I thought this would sound, but I love it. Yeah, absolutely. I this mean, is, it's, 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 it's amazing what you can do with one sort of, like, you know, uh, sort of twisted voice, um, an acoustic guitar, a bass, and a snare drum with brushes. Right. 1984 in South Carolina, I would proclaim this the greatest album of all time. Yeah. There's, without, I, there have definitely question. been years of my life where I've proclaimed this the greatest album of all time, bar none. Yes. And one of the greatest openers by yep. far. Absolutely. And, absolutely. Who's talking about X again? I was about to say, guess, guess what we're about to talk about. <laughs> yeah, um, but I can't. I, I, it can't be denied. Uh, nope. X Los Angeles is one of the great statements of purpose ever. It tells you, unlike the Violent Femmes who exist in this, you know, nether world of of you know adolescent imagination, X not only is from Los Angeles. They call their first album Los Angeles, their first song Los Angeles, and it's about. Los Angeles, and, and they're the, not from Milwaukee. No, no. John Doe was a Baltimore guy, but um, and Exine's from Florida. But uh, it is such 
like a definitive, um, it's, you know, it's just, it, to me, it's, it's, you know, it's like, it's like breathing listening to this album. It's just it's, the most. It's such a uh, description of the city and the time and the place too. Like it's such a street view of, of Los Angeles. I mean, they just nail it in that song. It's a period of Los Angeles, though, that or like a time in, in the life of that city that, that is so kind of fascinating to me because I, I think, you know, pretty much as long as I've been aware, um, it really, ha- I, like, it just isn't synonymous with music to me. Um, and I get that it has this, like, incredible legacy and, and it's steeped in sort of rock history from, from the 80s. Um, and, well, 70s and 80s. But, like, it, it's, uh, it, it's sort of expired now and it's almost hard to, it's hard to imagine when that, that was the place you had to be for, um, for a certain type of music. It's funny for me because the you know I have this theory about Los Angeles because uh, I spent a lot of time there that only solo artists come out of Los Angeles anymore like there are no bands there and I think it's you know part of it is the you know geographical difficulties of getting together part of it is that you know a lot of people move there who are fairly singular minded about their own success um, there's a lot of talented people there but it's not like a place where you go. And you know, sort of develop a gang mentality. Um, yeah, it doesn't quite the same like forced, um, uncomfortable intimacy of a place like New York or Boston or you know or wherever. Exactly, you don't really have to interact with people that much, and so you get a lot of really great solo acts out of LA. Um, and uh, and you know, certainly people, it's a it's a magnet for people with talent, but it is it's a weird place, and I think this was one of those rare times when there was a collective scene. Um, sadly, the other one was hair metal, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it was the last, you know, the, uh, the, that punk scene back then, which was really diverse and strange, um, you know, musically and, um, culturally, uh, very briefly, you know, produced this, but it, I think too, um, it's, uh, um, it was X and it's hard to even, um, you know, sort of, um, imagine this now, but X really was kind of the, had the replacement spot before the replacements did. They were the uh, critical darlings that no that that you know labels to. and and you know music critics adored that they just couldn't push over the finish line. They couldn't understand why this wasn't the most popular band in the world. And it's, you know, it's obviously such, uh, you know, sort of particular and singular music, but it also, like, people were really, you know, kicking themselves, especially after Big Black Sun and More Fun in the New World, saying, like, why the hell aren't these guys huge? But They um, also are sort of like, a, I think, the glue in that scene as well. I mean, they were kind of, like you said, the band that was, that was you know, had the most critical claim, probably, you know, took more bands on tour than, you know, any other band, but they also just had a real DIY ethos always. Well, they were the brains and of the organization. Absolutely. They're smart people. And anybody who questions that watch Decline of Western Civilization and compare them to any other <laughs> band in that movie, talking to you, RIP, Darby Crash. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's, I mean, it's just an intelligent band that wrote great lyrics and also just a weird sound. I mean, you know, it's a, it's another band like that. That Los Angeles song we're talking about right now is, I mean, that riff is, you know, kind of punk rockabilly, you know, country. It's just like Surf, a great, yeah. yeah, great kind of like unique original sound. And they were good players. That was what also differentiated them. The one funny thing is that now that I think about it is that's kind of analogous between um, the Violent Femmes and, and Van Halen, all the three of these songs, is that... Um, 
you know, the, that Los Angeles, uh, well, you know, Blister in the Sun is for everybody, everybody's, you know, certain period of their adolescent years. And it's funny if you go see X or you listen to X, there's really only a small portion of an age group that loves X. And it's 100% people my age, give or take four to five years. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, you want to take a quick break and come back? Let's do it. Three uh, pretty pretty excellent installations uh, of, of this, and I, I would, uh, I, if you guys don't mind, I'll, I'll kick it back off with the second round here, please. Um, and I'm going to throw on "Bring to Ruckus" by Wu Tang Clan um, off Thirty Six Chambers. You know, truly one of their uh, one of their standout um, standout tracks. Uh, I mean, I, honestly, every single track on that amazing album also is a made standout. the perfect album. Absolutely, um, and this you know this leads off with Raekwon and Spectre Deck and and Jizza, um, you know all all sort of teeing up the uh, the the um, the Grand Slam here, which is which is you know Ghostface, uh, and he is um, just I mean like a mad genius on this thing, and you know previewing um, the the sort of uh, I think you know incredible like dark philosophy that these guys bring to bear along with the sort of like goofy weird stonery charm um that somehow like takes the the most frightening edge off this stuff um and you know i I think that that like an obsession with 1970s kung fu movies um but can actually make that sound tough uh, is is a really you know impressive uh, impressive feat. So um, you know I think Bring the Ruckus is, is the perfect introduction to this album and, and a, you know all time favorite of mine. Perfect introduction to the Wu Tang Clan who like Wyndham had uh, Violent Femmes in high school. That was definitely a soundtrack to my high school years. Shaolin shadow boxing and the Wu Tang sword style. If what you say is true, the Shaolin and the Wu Tang could be dangerous. Do you think your Wu Tang sword can defeat me? On guard, I'll let you try my Wu-Tang style. Bring the motherfucking ruckus! Bring the motherfucking ruckus! Bring the mother, bring the motherfucking ruckus! Bring the motherfucking ruckus! Ghost face, catch the blast of a hype verse. My clock burst, leaving a hearse, I did worse. I come rough, jump like an elephant's tusk. Your head rush, fly like Egyptian musk. Aw, oh, shit, Wu-Tang clear spark the wixen. However, I mastered a trick just like Nixon. Quick damage your whole era Hard rocks is locked the fuck up I found shot the yellow style Hazardous cause I wreck this dangerous I blow spots like Waco, Texas I watch 
from back like I'm locked down. Hardcore hitting sound, watch me act ball and tear down. A little bit tight asshole. Songs going gold, no doubt. And you're watching corny nigga fall. Yeah, they faking all that. Carrying gats with your mind playing. Rolling like 40 max. Now you're acting bitch, I guess it makes sense. Who take your suit? Represent. I wait for one to act up. Now I got him backed up. Gun to his neck now. React what? And that's one in the chamber. Who take banger? 36 styles of danger. When you want to go next? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to be super brief on this one because I've uh, described it um, six ways to Sunday, and, I, and, and I'm not as much of an advocate as I am for X. But um, Boston, more than a feeling, um, yeah. that, I don't know, this is just a perfect album opener. And yeah. there's not much I mean, I'm it, was shot, add to it that. was shot here from another galaxy through space, <laughs> and it landed yeah, a guitar uh, shaped into, a, into a basement in, uh, outside of Boston. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. And it landed in somebody's front yard, and that's why we have this song. And the one thing I will say that, that you know, I've, I think I've mentioned before, but that entire first album was basically, it was their demo. And yeah. so that, that's how technically proficient Tom so when, was. Sorry, when you say their demo, do you mean <laughs> yeah. the obsessive madman on the brakes? And that's like, I mean, it's one I guy just like... But, except that he knew he couldn't sing, and so he had Brad Delp, so it was a they. Um, and Brad Delp really was... I mean, he had a a phenomenal set of pipes. And, you know, when Tom Schultz learned how to track him 47,000 times on his own backing (laughs) vocals, then it just, you know, that's when it blasted (laughs) into outer space on a flaming guitar. stick in the 80s and go with uh, Steve Earle's debut, Guitar Town. And, uh, you know, it's an album I actually came to later because I didn't like country music when in the 80s, but um, <clears throat> it was an 86 debut album from a guy who had definitely cut his chops hanging out with, you know, Towns Van Zandt playing bass for Guy Clark on Guy Clark's classic albums and, you know, really came out with just a swagger and a confidence that, um, you know, wasn't around in country at that time. Him and Dwight Yoakam, I would say, is the other person that really kind of brought country back to the roots. And probably one of my, uh, you know, favorite lines ever, people telling me you can't get far with $37 in a Jap guitar, which uh, is one of Steve Earle's classics. Too He's, bad uh, having a Motel Tan. Exactly, yeah. No, it's just a great, like, rollicking country song. And, and uh, you know, obviously 80s production always hurts everything that came out of the say, 80s. Yeah, but the... if you listen to the flow and the lyrics for, like, a young guy in his 20s, it's just a, it's a great song. It's a great really song. great song that it, that in its initial recording that, like, him, the performances live are awesome. Um, but, like, in that one initial recording and the one that, like, you, you, you know, will hear on the album or work here in the music video or whatever, like... 
I just don't feel it equate does the song tinny. justice. No, the definitely song not. You mean the one, that was, the one that was recorded in a clean room at a pharma company? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> under under yeah the the most sterile white lighting you could possibly. And I think with happen. country again, it really is. You know, the music is is actually good in that song, and it, it, the players are great, but. It is kind of the lyrics and the way he just kind of rambles on. And, and Steve Earle was a badass back then. He was gearing to be... It's actually funny, on his first tour, he played both with Dwight Yoakam and The Replacements, who we've uh, mentioned, you know, mightily recently. So, um, you know, just night. a guy that was like a It's a weird, anomaly. very fucked up night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, there's a... Yeah. That's pre, pre-sober the, the ambulance is waiting outside. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah. It's ambulance roulette. Hey, pretty baby, are you ready for me? Yeah, it's a good rockin' daddy down from Tennessee. I'm just that off from about San Antonio with a radio blasting in the bird dog on. There's a speed trap with my head sound the town, but no local yoga gonna shut me down. Cause me and my boys got this rigging around, and we'll come a thousand miles from guitar um <laughs> anyway um I, actually let's just let's just charge through the last uh, the last three and then we'll uh, move on to some new uh some new music <clears throat> let's do it do you want to kick this one off I do, and again, I'm not going to go on a long time because I've I've uh, stated my case um, both um, on Perfect Albums, I think, and and a number of other places, um, including I think we did a, a uh, when the when the film uh, came out of Straight Outta Compton, but N.W.A. Straight Outta Compton is one of the greatest statements of purpose <laughs> in, in the history like from history of mankind absolutely Damn i mean from after, yeah, no it's so good 10 seconds into this song um you're pressed against the you, back of your chair totally <laughs> but you also know exactly you're slammed over a police car <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you just don't it's 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 it was the greatest conv- for for a side one track one it conveys uh, everything you need to know about an art, uh, artist group of artists, um, as well as any side one track one in the history of music. So if I can compare it to, to, you know, sort of hostile rap songs that we've mentioned here today, like, I mean, so the, the thing about Wu-Tang Clan was that, like, there's a slight deranged quality to, like, all of their music that, that like, you know... That kind there's of a quirky you, loopiness to them. Right, but that gives you this this sort of this feeling like, okay, this guy's crazy. I don't really know what he might do, you know? Yeah, um, and and that's, sort of the, that's sort of the, the nefarious, like, uh, undertone to, to all of their music. Plus, of course, that really, um, that really sort of uh, stripped down, like, skeletal, um, you know, minor note piano or minor scale um, piano bits, like, tossed in there um, and, and, you know, really, like, bare percussion. Um, but... But with NWA, it's like there's no, there's no mincing of words. There's no shading of you know. There's no there's no undertone. There's just tone. Yeah, um, there's pure attitude. Yeah, exactly. And it is pure, one hundred percent unadulterated fucking and it, attitude. You know, and it's it comes awesome. out. It comes out between two great 
PE records, which is what I was listening to a lot of then. Um, it came out my freshman year of college. Um, so it, you know, it comes out between two PE albums, which are so well produced and the Sonics are getting so, um, progressive and interesting and sampling is getting so interesting. Uh, it's, you know, it's a year before Paul's boutique and then straight out of Compton, like it's really well produced and the tracks are great, but they're kind of almost incidental to the delivery of the vocals. Is there, oh, it's is there, vocals. Is there yeah, like, it's, a, it's like a garage is, rock album. It's just it is. to the point that you almost forget that like basically the one continuous like uh, through note of that of that song is just like somebody laying on a fucking car horn for like four <laughs> minutes, just, which just creates like a, the most menacing backdrop I could imagine for something oh, yeah. like that. It's perfect. It creates a sense of place. It paints a it paints a picture. <laughs> yes, exactly. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Sublime's first nationally distributed album was uh, 40 Ounces to Freedom. And for that reason, I think that the, the song that most people could have heard first and would have heard first, and certainly the first thing to get radio play, was, was going to be Waiting for My Ruka. Um, they did subsequently uh, distribute nationally the first album or demo that they made, um, but, uh, but we're going we're gonna to have to set that aside for a minute um, because I want to talk about Waiting for My Ruka. Uh, and this is, you know, I, I think a, a, an extension of my... my um, discussion earlier about, you know, sort of homage to, to music for teenagers. Um, and, you know, this is, I would describe this as sun-soaked and bongo-driven, which are not typically terms that I would associate with musical genius. You, just, you also um, just described Bongo Jerry. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Um, but, uh, but you know, th- this tune is, is really a sort of stripped-down, like, um, tribal, you know, beat beneath sort of Bradley Knoll's uh, tweaker comedy poetry, which is pretty sweet. Um, and, you know, I think the humor, like, the, the sex, the drugs, the partying, like, this band took the, the sort of nervous suburban energy of, like, uh, of the violent femmes and um, made you a full-blown 25-year-old tweaker loser, um, but managed to do it in a way that was actually funny um, and that was, you know, clever and that made you um, feel something for, for the people who were, you know, kind of 
strung out. And um, I, I think that was, it, it is the musical equivalent, the musical and the American equivalent of the movie Trainspotting. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a sad story ultimately, but, um, but it was genuinely funny and endearing the entire way. Um, and, you know, musically, I would just say, like, for me, I mean, like, Scott and reggae um, are not hugely enjoyable you um, lead with those two genres. genres. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I like... There's great moments, obviously. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I would say in early ska in particular, um, but, you know, there's some pretty bad moments as well. Um, I love Bad Brains to pieces, though, and, like, that, you know, Bad Brains and, and Sublime, you know, did incorporate, like, elements of hardcore punk into those two genres, which seem weird, but it just, I have no idea. I would never ever have put those two things together um, until somebody else did for me. Um, but but just, you know, a final note, they also did cover, uh, uh, cover well, a song that was first, uh, you know, put out by the Melodians, um, but, but subsequently popularized by Boney M, and that is Rivers of Babylon um, later Oof. on this album. And it's, mm. it's actually, but it's funny. It's like all of the background noise that gets picked up on the mic you know, all the conversations that are happening elsewhere in the room. It's just, no, I'm just having a flashback to... To Boney uh, M? To our dad playing Boney M. I had to listen M. to that fucking tape, too, man. It was really traumatizing stuff. And then when I heard it again on this album, I was just like, oh, no. And I was yeah. like, well, actually, all right. I can when someone can this. tweak something that, that has been such a thorn in your side, it's kind of <laughs> yes. great. Exactly. I'm still not eating turkey burgers. No. <laughs> no. Don't even, do not say that. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I, I can't say I ever bought into, like, this sort of SoCal aesthetic or culture. Um, but, you know, in a way, these guys were, I think, sort of connected to um, X and uh, the germs and meat puppets and, you know, had a, had a sort of uh, stuck into this, like, sort of West Coast tradition, I think, um, and, and took it in a really sort of, like, entertaining direction. It's a, it's a shame we, we lost that guy. Yeah, it's a great party album. and an album that uh, shouldn't at the time like all those genres are, are usually don't work and they fucking nailed it punk rock changed our lives I guess I'm last here, and I'm going to take your sun-soaked uh, tweaking all the way over to rainy, dreary Scotland 
for uh, <laughs> Bell and Sebastian. To the yeah, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> to uh, Bell and Sebastian's debut album, 1996's uh, Tiger Milk and uh, the state that I'm in. Um, this is just a song that, like, I don't know. It's a, it's a, at the same time, to me, sounds like a, a band that's fledgling and completely fully formed and is just an amazing, like, great sardonic story, you know, set to, like... Uh, really poppy sort of Nick Drake influenced and, and you know pop music and uh, it, it just kind of builds and builds and builds the orchestration is amazing for like a debut song for a band that was like literally living on I think art funding at the time and, and met in like a, a oh, flop and, house and, and disability yeah right <laughs> um, and, and broth and broth um, uh, you know it was just this like a, they knew how to market themselves right away. You know, they always never showed pictures of themselves, always had, you know, kind of, uh, you know, sort of retro and uh, noir kind of photographs. Yeah, kind of ripped um, the page out of the Smiths aesthetic. Absolutely. And, and, you know, actually reminded me, I don't think Bell and Sebastian sound anything like the Smiths, but there is a certain, like, tenor and articulate. Yeah. yeah um, a bookishness. Definitely, yeah. And it's an album that, uh, I don't know, it's an album that's great, but that song in particular <laughs> is actually, to this day, my favorite Bell and Sebastian song and, and kind of set, set the blueprint for other great albums. There are better albums than Tiger Milk by far, but this song still stands as, as I think, their best uh, achievement. All right. We want to take a quick break and come back and, and end this pod how we end every pod? Why don't we do that? Okay. I was happy for a day in 1975 I was puzzled by a dream that stayed with me all day in 1995 My brother had confessed he was gay It took the heat off me for a while he stood up with a sailor friend Made it known upon my sister's wedding day Got married in a rush To save a kid from being deported Now she's in love talking track one side one um debut albums today uh we've we've we our picks are in um and we'd love to hear from you um to uh, to help us sort of build out the playlist um now I, I think let's get on to uh our segment what are you listening to i've, I've got you know something that i i wanted to bring up i think jim james's new album uniform distortion is awesome um i don't know if you guys have listened to this top to bottom uh i realize in retrospect and i hadn't really put this together um 
I actually listened to Just a Fool the first time I heard the uh, that song was when the sing- the day the single came out. I was actually sitting in a coffee shop in Louisville, which seems um, kind of appropriate. Um, but uh, and in another weird coincidence, um, happened to be reading a history of uh, of of cybernetics this past weekend, which was talking about the source, the source of origin that, um, you know, basically hit the inspiration for this album, which was the whole Last Earth catalog. Um, but, you know, I, I think, start with the music here, I, you know, the album's a pretty stark departure from um, James's uh, solo efforts, and, and, you know, which were much more soulful, um, and it's sort of more reflective, I think, of, like, early MMJ output, um, probably a, a decade ago, and then even looking back into the 90s at, at sort of some of the indie rock heyday then. Um, I, I think it's a, one of the really cool sort of features of this album that I would just note for anybody who hasn't listened to it um, is that when you play these singles on Spotify, these, uh, these sort of murky, distorted images of Jim James are just swirling across your screen the whole time. And it's sort of his homage to The Illuminated Man, um, which is uh, which he actually borrowed. Um, he wrote to the artist uh, and, and borrowed that um, uh, that that print Image. for his um, for for his album cover. Um, and so, you know, it features the Dwayne Michaels um, uh, first included the Illuminated Man in the last Whole Earth catalog, um, which was by a sort of futurist who was thinking about like um, the you know future of, of uh, information um, that was thinking about sort of the future of information and uh, basically a precursor to um, to the internet. Now, James got permission to use this photo after sending Michaels uh, a letter which um, was actually distributed, which was actually distributed with the promo package for this album. Um, it sort of explains how the photo reflects these themes that he was grappling with, uh, you know, which sort of around the overwhelming speed of technology um, and sort of information overload. And I think, you know, to, I'll just read his quote here um, to, to sort of paint a pretty good picture of, of the depth behind this thing. Uh, James said, you know, when I saw it on the page there, it spoke to me so deeply of how my head feels like it's exploding with the amount of information we're forced to consume on a daily basis and how that information is so distorted. Um, there is almost no longer any tangible truth. Uh, the name of my new record is Uniform Distortion because I feel like there's this blanket of distortion in so- on society and media, the way we gather our news and important information. And more and more of us are feeling lost and looking for new ways out of this distortion and back to the truth. Um, you know, and I think in, in reading that, I sort of thought, man, you know, distortion is right. Form really follows substance here. Um, the sort of raw emotion, like the fuzz and these, like the, the ramshackling, you know, winding single note uh, at a time, like guitar solos, um, winding up and down these songs, or, you know, create this sort of chaotic layer of distortion. Um, but but at the core, there's these, like, these really familiar, like, 1960s melodies at the root of all of these songs. Um, and there's sort of a pop bliss to be found, like, somewhere in the middle of all that chaos that I really love. Um, the Dear Lemon Drops uh, sing backup vocals throughout the album, and their contribution on songs like Over and Over show this like gentler, sweeter optimism amid all of the, the sort of uh, paranoia and um, frustration with the chaos. So, you know, I think ultimately it, it's, a, it's an album that sort of makes you think about the ability to hold like these, these contradictory ideas in your head at the same time. But it really is, I mean, it's just, it, it's, I think, potentially a, a, a classic. I, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, this, is, uh, this is an album I've been listening to for a very long time. 
Cool. Yeah, I haven't I haven't given it a spin. I, you sent me some of the early singles, and I really liked them, and so I'm uh, I'm excited to hear it. That's right. And Wyndham, you were also listening to this as well, right? I did. I, I have it listed. Uh, um, although uh, I have Jim James' Uniform Distortion, awesome record. Um, (laughs) but um it's funny because i listened to uniform distortion i listened to an album by a guy that i was previously unfamiliar with called t hardy morris um his album's called dude the obscure he was the lead vocalist for dead confederate who i know were you know sort of a a band that i remember the name more than i remember the band and then i was listening to chris crofton which I was a little dismissive of because I, you know, understand he's a stand-up comic and he's making uh, a breakup album. And I have to tell you, the Chris Crofton album is really worth a listen. Um, he, Comics don't have feelings. He has he has this um, he has this uh, he basically has this um, uh, trope that he he's sort of playing with through the entire thing, and it sounds like a, like an early '70s kind of Jay Farrar kind of thing. Um, he doesn't sing as well as Jay, but uh, he's a lot funnier. Um, but basically, he's writing a breakup album, um, utilizing every uh, like all these rock cliches, and it's, it, it would remind you a lot of like um, uh, "You Were Right" by, by uh, Built a Spill. Built a Spill in yeah. terms of its tenor, or like that sort of dismantling of of um, you know '70s lyrics. But it's really sneaky, and it doesn't feel obvious. He's, you know, he basically, you know, he's talking. Well, the album's called "Hello, It's Me," which is obviously a, a Rungren, you know, Rungren's great song. But, you know, I mean, he's one. Uh, you know, he's got one called, um, you know, I know what I know what becomes of the brokenhearted, <laughs> and you know, it. But it's not frivolous and silly or jokey. It's a really good. Uh, like 70s rock album I mean along lines of like uh, you know Father John Misty or or a Sunvolt you know um, that so just put, put your put your skepticism aside is the recommendation here and just like listen to it without reading too much about what's going on yeah I'd say um, and all three of these albums I put on one playlist just to listen to them you know sort of mixed together and they really share a lot in common vibe wise um I, you know, I put Jim James' Informed Distortion at the top of the list in terms of uh, serious quality, but I'd say I highly recommend I recommend listening to all three. They're really good. Nice. I have some new music to listen to on yeah, my exactly. way Thank out you. of New York. Um, I'm not going to go music route. I'm actually going to go a uh, friend of our uh, podcast, Jake Brennan's excellent pod, Disgraceland, and uh, I had the pleasure of listening to part one and part two of his John Lennon murder pods which are really really good and um i i obviously you know know the cliff notes of the lennon murder and, and the weirdness around it and obviously the catcher in the rye and all, all that crazy but i didn't really know what was going on at the time in lennon's life and it's kind of right as his, his sort of comeback was about to happen but also just kind of the the angsty douchey behavior that was going on prior and then just some of the background on on the murder as well and and Jake just did a fantastic job, lots of research as usual, but it's a really fun pod to listen to, as fun as murder can get. It's um, his best one. Yeah, I think so, and uh, and that's saying a lot because they're all really good, but it, it, it was one that I absolutely listened to back-to-back because I couldn't wait to hear the second I, part. So. I, I will I'll, I will second that and, and just say that there's, you know, I know I have a pretty uh, strong knowledge of, or thought I had a pretty strong knowledge of that case. I mean, I... 
I knew the basics of the murder. I knew a fair amount about John's, John Lennon's life in the 70s and how it kind of went to pieces and, and the lost weekend and things of that nature. But if you know about those things, you don't know anything about uh, the research that Jake did on this. So you definitely listen. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I've got those queued up for the uh, for the next couple of days. Um, so I guess we'll uh, we'll get back together next week, you guys. We'll, um, we'll add was... one song. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, we will. It's, I, I know. See, this is the problem. You forget everything over the summer holidays. and then It's true. Uh, your mind goes to hell, and then you have to be held back. <laughs> um, but uh, so the 4,682 trillion top... Uh, 10 songs of all time um i'm gonna lead off uh on the you know taking a cue from the jim james conversation and, and throw on one big hop uh such a great song nice i'm gonna follow you and uh i'm gonna go with down by cheap trick off of in color i'm gonna like throw kind of a curveball here and put on wonderful by kate lebon <laughs> i love that song I don't know if I know it off the top of my head. I'll oh, hear it though well, on the playlist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're going to have to listen to it about 500 times. So. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>